Good morning. We're going to turn over to John chapter 2 as we begin this morning. Uh, Gary is ill this morning, and so if you'd be praying for him this week, that'd be fantastic. Appreciate that. And as we uh, turn to John chapter 2, what we're also doing all together is uh, turning together to a... um, a new series where we are going to see the the seven signs that are kind of outlined in the book of John. We want to see uh, what these signs are all about. Now, in Matthew and Mark and Luke, there are many references to Jesus' miracles. And for the most part, those books use the term um, that we get our word dynamite from. When we see the signs, and those are powerful. And we want to put the power of Jesus on display. That is right and good. But in the book of John, John purposely turns to another word. You see it in your uh, notes outline there. Sameon. And that word means uh, a sign. Uh, It's a statement to look to something beyond. So while he, and you look at the uh, uh, little symbols at the bottom here, while he turns water to wine, while he, while he heals people and raises them from the dead, while he walks on the water, while he turns uh, one or two fish and loaves into plenty for all, we go down the list, he causes the blind to see, and of course the ultimate sign of the scriptures is that he rose again the third day from the, he resurrected. And so these are not mere shows of power. And I think sometimes in our everyday life, we, we begin to think, well, I need a show of power. I need God to show up and do something. I need him to, to make my life a little bit easier or provide for a need that I can't provide for on my, on my own. And while he does that often, the reality is that he has these seven signs that John has outlined for us to prove who Jesus is, and what he is doing in this world. So if you turn with me to John chapter 20 for just a minute, in John chapter 20, the the, the context of this is this idea of Thomas. You remember, right? We're going to see in just a minute that because of the miracle the disciples see in the first sign that we look at today, they believe. But now here, three years later, Thomas is still struggling. And can I just tell you, unless you're some kind of super Christian, which you ain't, you still struggle with it too. But I believe, Lord, help help me believe. Help me believe fully. Help me believe today. Help me to believe when the wheels are off the cart. Help me to to believe when I return to my addiction. Help me to believe when the relationship is broken. Help me to believe when the diagnosis really stinks. And so these signs are here for us. And Thomas, three years later, saw all the things that Jesus did, all those seven signs and more, many more. Remember, Jesus appears to the ten disciples and proves, okay, he's resurrected from the dead. And the ten disciples go back to John and like, hey, John, or excuse me, Thomas. Hey, Thomas, we saw him. And Thomas like, "Mm, no, no, I do not believe that. 
In fact, he says here in John chapter 20, verse 27, uh, or verse uh, just prior to that, um, in verse uh, 25, the disciples said to him, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand in his side, what does he say? I will never believe. There's the tension point for you and me. I believe. I don't believe. I believe I need more. I need something ongoing. Show yourself strong again. Reveal yourself to me. And so Jesus, knowing what was going on there, by the way, he set this all up. Jesus is sovereign over the events of your life. He is sovereign over the events of my life. He orchestrated this for Thomas. And that's what we're going to see time and time again today as we apply this to ourselves. He orchestrates the events of your life for you to prove himself to you once again and to call attention to the fact that he's already proven himself time and time again. And so he, Jesus sets him up and the 11 are now gathered and he comes because Jesus can through the wall. He comes into the room and he says this, peace be with you in verse 26. Then he said to Thomas, is it, again, he's appearing for Thomas. Hey, Thomas, um, you may not have known it, but those words of doubt that you spoke to everybody when you went on the record and said, I will never believe, I heard him. And so now I came through the wall with my hands pierced and my side pierced to prove myself to you. You're here this morning and we are studying the seven signs of Jesus in him proving that he is the Christ, the son of the living God for you. Jesus is making eye contact with you. He's bringing this message for your heart and mine. Because no matter how much we believe from the onset, every one of us needs to be reminded again and again and again that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He is the servant from the Lord. He is the one in whom all the promises of God find their yes and amen. He is the one who sees you and knows you. He is the one who loves you. And he's making eye contact with me this morning as we study this text. And he's saying, hey, listen, put your hands in my hand. Put out your hand and place it in my side. He's saying to you and me, do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, Thomas doesn't get up and say, hey, come over here. Let me do that. Let me do that. Let me put my hand in your side. He doesn't do that. He realizes that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus has risen from the dead, and he goes hard face down in worship before the Lord and makes one of the most amazing statements of faith and the deity of Jesus Christ in all of Scripture right here in John chapter 20 when he says, okay, I'm going to stop talking now. My Lord and my God. And God puts you and me sovereignly in situations where he removes all the resources 
where he makes us hang on what will he do next. And he comes through with promise and he comes through with help in just the nick of time to cause us to go face first on the the floor and say, okay, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And you know who he's talking about? You. The Holy Spirit comes and enlightens your eyes and helps you see what, who he is and that he, is, he has taken these seven signs of the book of John that we're going we're gonna to look at and he has proven himself. Now, verse 20 and 20, 30 and 31 and John chapter 20. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written in this book so that you may believe. He's talking to you. That Jesus is the Christ. He's the one that all of the Old Testament looked to. We don't live in a world full of comparative religions where we all say, well, you know what? All the religions are trying to do the same thing. They're all trying to make us a little morally better. Not true. Not true. Here's the, the crux of Christianity. The whole world is lost in our sin. And there is only one who came as the servant of the Most High God to make that right. He proved beyond the shadow of a doubt, year by year, and faithful act by faithful act, that he and he alone is the servant of the Lord, the very Son of God. And only those who place their faith and trust in him and him alone find that their sins are forgiven and they are finally alive. So we don't look to the goal of what the other people in the world say is the goal of religion. We look to Jesus Christ who fulfilled all of the promises of God and gave us sign upon sign upon sign to prove who he is. He's done it. So if you are struggling with someone in your life, let's back that off. If you yourself need to be encouraged that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and all of us do, this series is for you, Seven Signs. If you have had depleted resources and need to be reminded that uh, even when life doesn't go the direction you hoped it would go and the direction you want it to go, yet Jesus is the Christ, this is for you. If you have a friend who is saying all that talk, all the things that you're doing, this effort you're trying to place in faith, this words that you're trying to place, it's all coincidence and it's just a matter of chance and we're all committed to karma And if that's you and you've got a friend who's dealing with all of those attitudes and like attitudes, this series is for you to prove this again and remind you and me again, Jesus is the one and only Christ. So here it is. It's Jesus fully and Jesus only as our hope. And he proved it time and time again. So let's take a look. We're going to read John chapter 20, excuse me, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And then we're going to have a word of prayer. And we'll take a look at this first sign. If the last sign and the most significant sign is the resurrection, here we have in John chapter 2, the first one of the book. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. 
Jesus was also Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? Did your mom ever put you on the clock? Like, okay, all right, do something here, right? And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars that were for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And so, Father, as we open your word together here in this place, at this new time at 9.30, we praise you for your word and for the gathering of the saints in the name of Jesus Christ. I am greatly needy. Every one of us has had discouragements this week, afflictions, trials, tossings. We are waiting for you to help us. And so we pray you'd come and feed us from your word. Fuel our faith in Jesus, our boldness and thankfulness, our absolute trust in the exclusive work of Jesus Christ, our thankfulness and awe, our worship of your great name. Help us with this and more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the third day, there was a wedding, and that is not insignificant. In Isaiah chapter 54, the coming of the Messianic age is compared to a wedding. So it shouldn't surprise us that the wedding is sort of this party of beginning, this public proclamation and statement that Jesus and his kingdom, Jesus is announcing that the kingdom is here. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 4, fear not for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit 
and it goes on from there in Isaiah chapter 54. The point is that, that the beginnings or the, the messianic time frame, his coming is compared to a wedding, and now here we are at a wedding, and God is sovereignly orchestrating every detail. Later, he implies that his time is not here, but has not yet come, but he doesn't mean that he wasn't ready to do this miracle at the wedding feast of Cana. He is talking about uh, the time of his suffering, and we'll, we'll look at that in a minute. But the point is, the wedding is an announcement that Jesus' kingdom is here now, and he purposely does this miracle in Cana. This sign marks the arrival of God's kingdom. It announces And then you see what happens here is that they run out of wine. And so the way we want to kind of phrase this today is that keep trusting in God's sovereign purposes, okay, even when the resources seem to be diminishing. So we see that in verses 1 through 3. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. A couple things we should note here. It's a big old wedding. We're going to see in just a minute. Big old wedding. Six off. Jesus turns 150 gallons of water into wine. A lot of people would be required, we hope, (laughs) to imbibe 150 gallons of really good wine. All right? That's a party right there. Somehow, this is probably, this is my speculation, probably a relative of Jesus because Mary seems to have uh, uh, some skin in the game. She seems to feel responsible to do something to fix the problem. So she comes to Jesus and says, hey, we got to do something here. We're, We're out of wine. So even when these resources are diminishing, we are going to devote our situation and our life to the Lord. Notice this. She does not say, make some wine. She does not have the definition of exactly how she wants Jesus to act in this moment. She doesn't know what to do. And here's the application for you and me. When you are in a situation where the resources are diminished, it is best to go to the Lord without an end in mind and without a list of how you want him to act in the moment. Jesus, you're good. You do things. She has not seen him do great miracles like this before, though she knows he is resourceful and can act and do things. This, just, this is the moment of his coming out party in terms of the kingdom of the Lord, and Mary's not fully aware of that. Mary's just saying, hey, you're my son. There's no wine. And that's where you, should, you and I should get to as well in our life. The relationship is broken. Okay, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm leaving this with you. The dollars are gone. Lord, I don't know if you're going to provide the dollars or if this is a moment of bankruptcy. I do not know. I'm leaving this situation with you. The diagnosis is real. And it is coming down the track, and it is now upon you. You can ask for healing, but I'm telling you, we're all learning. It's best to open up our hands and say, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but all my hope is in you, Jesus. Would you come help us? Would you come help? 
That's where we want to be as a congregation. And that's where Jesus, excuse me, that's where John is, is writing this to, to get us to the point where we come with open hands and say, okay, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but my hope's in you. Notice that uh, in, all throughout the book of John, Mary's not really named. She's, she's called the mother of Jesus uh, at this point, And that's an interesting distinction. Um, but as we continue to trust in God's sovereign purposes, not only when our resources seem to be diminishing and the wine is all run out, uh, keeping in mind as well, this is a major problem in that world. I, I was at a wedding yesterday, and uh, they didn't run out of anything. But had they run out of something, I'd have been like, eh, all right, that's fine. There's a lot of people here. But in the first century, with all those people there that have come hundreds of months, they've come a long way, and it's very difficult to travel, to ha- not take care of your guests is a major lifelong embarrassment that people would have talked about for years to come. It was a big, big moment. And God puts us in big moments like that and then limits the resources. Keep trusting in God's sovereign purposes even when timing seems unclear. You see that in verses 4 and 5? And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? I think sometimes when I read that uh, years ago, I think, why, why do you call her woman? It feels a little disrespectful. Woman, you know, it's not like that at all. Here, here's what it is, is you don't know this, mom, but now my public ministry has begun, and our relationship is now of adult to adult in a special way. And now I address you as woman, no longer mama. Now, I'm not suggesting that as adults you shouldn't call your mom mom. But I am suggesting that I believe John is intentionally changing the word here so we understand what's happening. The kingdom is now, and this is his first public act as Lord of the universe, and to announce to the whole world that the kingdom of God is here now. Can I just tell you something? We, as Christians... In this generation, believe that God does miracles. We believe that he changes things. I think sometimes we, we look at a, a miracle and we think, okay, there's once in a while, rarely, Jesus steps in and does something profound uh, to uh, uh, influence a situation. And that is not at all the picture here. Right? The picture here and the picture of all of the New Testament is at all times, God does miracles. You and I call it gravity, and we're used to it. You and I speak of the rotation of the earth around the sun, and we call that a year. And the rotation of the earth in a circle as the sun gives us light, and we call that 24 hours a day. You and I have blood pressure, and someone puts a cuff on our arm and tells us what is going on inside of our body, and we think that's the norm. That's science. That's natural. But that's not what the New Testament says. Scriptures say in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, For by him, Jesus, all things are created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, 
all things were created through him and for him. For he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This millisecond that gravity continues. Miracle. The unbelievable morning that you have had so far, blood has coursed through your veins because Jesus has held you together miraculously every second from this morning to this moment. He doesn't have to keep doing that. So when we observe a sunrise, it is literally God's goodness to us to not only hold the earth in its orbit and allow the earth to continue to spin and give you the ability to see and appreciate It is a miracle that he does that. So when we look to water to wine and we say, well, now that's a miracle, what we are really doing, if that's all we see as a miracle, is we are shortchanging the miraculous in him all things hold together miracle of every moment. Christians need the ability to see, number one, all of life and every minute is a miracle. And number two, he does act miraculously on behalf of his people as we look to him. So his timing is unclear. And now again, we're in verse four. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That hour doesn't speak. I don't believe that speaks of the timing of his proclaiming the kingdom. I don't think so. I think that means the hour of my suffering on behalf of people, the Passion Week, the going to the cross, that's not here yet. God allows us to be put in situations where his timing is not clear to us. We don't know what's going on, and yet he steps in with benevolence and kindness towards us to do on our behalf what is good and right. He loves you, and he wants to work on your behalf as you allow him. Guys, waiting for God's timing of provision is one of the hardest Christian disciplines in the world. Here's why. You have a house. We have plenty of money. We have doctors that have increased life expectancy as long as we can, and the whole world around us has agreed with you that and us, that, that there is a, a certain amount we should expect, and at some point we sort of give up, right? At some point we sort of realize the end could be coming. But waiting on the provision of God when you have plenty of money in the bank and lots of physical strength is a discipline that that God wants to establish and teach us. And so here's what happens. He puts us in situations where we cannot look inside of ourselves and manipulate the situation anymore. He puts us in situations where other people's will has to come into contact with ours. He puts us in situations where someone we love gets a diagnosis and, and there's not an, an obvious fix to it. And so Mary comes to Jesus and says, I, I can't do anything about this. Could you? God loves to put you sovereignly by his goodness in situations like that 
removing resource, removing resource, removing resource, removing resource. And here's his goal. Believe that I am the Son of God. And there is no help for your life in any other direction than from me. Whatever the timing is for you that you're waiting on, whatever the situation is that you can no longer control or that God is revealing to you that you can't control, he's good and he's waiting for you to turn to him. And and then here's, here's what I do. Do you ever do this? Turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, help. And then all day long, I do it. Lord, help. And then all day long, I go online and, and purchase. Lord, help. And then I'm on WebMD all day long. Okay, all right. What, is this? what, what could this be? How many do I have to take? Lord, help. And then I do it myself. The beauty of this miracle is teaching you and me, Lord, help, and then do nothing. Now, I think Mary's in the back room. Don't know what she's doing. Is she helping get the water jugs together? Is she helping? But the point is, she's, she is actively believing that Jesus knows what he's doing and that he's got this. And so that's where we're called to be faithful. Keep believing and keep trusting and keep dedicating. And then, you know, do you worry? You know, and that's another question that is not addressed in this text. And so we'll address it as we go through and see the seven signs. But listen, Mary believed he would do it, and he did it. So while you're waiting and while I'm waiting, everything, anything we can do, here's my two suggestions to you. Read the scriptures over and over and over again and be reminded that God has supplied the need, that when God, when, when we turn it over to him and believe him, he is going to come through. Have story after story after story from the scriptures of how God has taken care of people. And then have a journal. Because where the scriptures lead right into your life in 1968 or in 1953, your life begun, and then you can look back in your life and go, now I remember this moment when God brought me to the end of myself. This story, I heard four, five, six stories of how God is humbling us so that we'll just wait on him. Out of resources. Recently, a, a man came to me and said, you know what, I thought I was honoring the Lord, and I had all of these skills, and I was building a house, and, uh, and, I, and the cement guys couldn't show up, and the work couldn't get done, and then the rains came. And I said, Lord, I am trying to honor you here. I am trying to take care of my family here. I'm doing everything I can to get this in a situation where, where I'm doing the right thing. And your hand is against me at every level. And he said, I fell down on my knees in the mud, in the rain, with my unfinished house. I said, okay, Lord, I'm done. I'm done trying to rely on me. I'm done looking to me for the timing. I'm done getting all angsty and angry. I'm done thinking that you're doing it wrong. I'm done. His wife was standing next to him when he told us this story. And I said to her, can you tell me the minute that happened in his life? She shook her head and said, everything changed from that moment on in our family. 
God's removing all the resources so you stop striving in your own strength to fix your problems. It's not an accident. He's not making lemonade out of lemons. He's purposefully taking away everything I rely on to make much of his name. And the question is, am I going to see the sign that he is sufficient and that Jesus is good? Keep trusting in God's sovereign purposes, uh, even when the resources seem to be diminishing, even when the timing seems to be unclear, even when your efforts seem to be futile. We've already been illustrating that, verses 6 through 8. Hey, here's the thing. The wine's all gone. Let's fill up these jugs with water. I don't know about you, but I'm not into that task. That is not fun for me. I'm like, ah, okay. All right, let's do it. Let's get the water full. Let's bring them in, right? Do everything he tells you to do. And can I just tell you that at least implies, at least leans in on when nothing else is going the way you think it should go, do the thing that he's called you to, to be faithful. Be a good mom. Continue to pray. Serve the Lord through the ministries of the church. Keep going. Happily, faithfully, teaching your own heart. Trust the Lord. These big things are going wrong. I'm going to do the thing that God's called me to. I'm going to keep being faithful and doing what God's called me to. The water jars are for this ceremonial cleansing. And we have this idea that 150 gallons of water have already probably been poured out on people to give them this cleansing and bring them into the wedding feast. Here's the other implication. When Jesus comes through and supplies a need, he's crazy good to us. It's way more, it's way more than we ever thought it would be. He takes care of us, good care of us. The great way he does it, he teaches us that he's trustworthy. He shows us his love for us. And even when uh, our efforts look like they're going to be futile, he takes the efforts of faith and faithfulness. I started telling you the story, but this week I heard a story of uh, a, a single dad with five kids and a great need for a house. Where am I going to keep, where am I going to take care of my kids? And the Lord provides. And if you're a single mom in here and you're wondering and you're suddenly single or you find yourself single either finally or surprisingly, God's eyes on you, sister. He's not lost track of you. Devote your need to the Lord and wait for him to act. Be faithful in the things that he's called you to be faithful in while you wait. This week I have a friend with back pain, a lot of back pain. And we're praying that the Lord would provide help and would heal and would have mercy and give great insight. And the last text I got from him was that there seems to be some relief. Here's what he's thanking God for after three weeks. Last night, I slept through the night. Don't take for granted sweet sleep, friends. The Lord gives it to you. Keep praying. Keep praying. I have a friend who's looking for a new job. And uh, this week at our men's ministry study, just prior to that, he had uh, reported to um, all the men that gathered on Wednesday night and uh, I maybe reported for him, actually, but nonetheless, God has provided this job, and it's, it's really a new mission field as well along the way. 
keeping your eyes fixed on him. So friends, keep trusting in God's sovereign purposes when the resources are diminishing, when the timing is unclear, when our efforts seem to be futile, and lastly, verses 9 through 11, even when credit seems to be misapplied. you see that? Verse 9. I'm not sure, you know, the master of the feast comes out, so he's the host, it looks like. And, and so uh, now when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, he did not know where it came from. Uh, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Can I just tell you? A lot of times God will do a miracle in such a way that it's obvious to you and hidden from a lot of other people. And you can't make them believe it. Now, parentheses. Here's the trouble. Sometimes you don't believe it. And sometimes I don't believe it. We say things like coincidence. We don't mean to take glory from God. We say things because the whole culture around us says things like this. Karma. Bad, bad. Good, good. No, no karma. God is at work in every minute of every day, orchestrating and bringing his kingdom to be. He's proved it clearly in the, in the pages of John and in your life and mine. The Spirit comes and helps us trust and believe. And uh, uh, oftentimes what is clear to you is not clear to others, and what is not clear to you becomes clear to you. And I believe that that is the discipline of the Christian life. That as we grow in grace and continue to see God's work in our lives, we begin to see where his grace is truly applied to us, and we are humbled and amazed at the glory and grace of God moment by moment in our lives. The older you get, the more you're amazed. Because you look back on who you were when you were 20, and you can't believe how good he's been to you. And you look back on Saturday, and you can't believe he carried you through another week. He is so good to us. The world around us is going to say, no, 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 you did it. Listen, friends, you didn't do it. The world around us is going to say, no, 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 coincidence. No way. Devote it to the Lord and wait for him to act. Wait for him to act. Even when credit seems misapplied. Master, the feast called the bridegroom over. You save the best till last. You all know what's going on here, right? Everybody drinks a lot of wine, and then when they are less aware of what the wine tastes like, they bring out the good, the bad stuff. So we can just get through the rest of the part. No, no. You save the best for last. And isn't that how God works? You wait in Him in faith, you act, ask for Him. To act, and he just gets sweeter and sweeter and better. And we're going to see at the end of John, the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves his identity beyond the shadow of a doubt for a whole generation. And we become these chains, these links in this beautiful chain to this day. We are telling the excellent works of God to the next generation. With, and, and he continues to get better and better. And listen, one day, one day as you experience him, Here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to return. And all of the struggles and afflictions and problems and persecutions of your life are going to be redeemed. They are all going to, to fully glorify his name with power. 
you were beginning, beginning to see the, just the beginnings of what he was doing in your life. I don't know if you'll get all the answers or if I'll get all the answers, but we're going to realize that it was all worth it because his name is worth it. And the thing that he does at the end when he redeems us and our eyes see him as he is, he himself is our light and we live in his presence with no sickness or trouble or problem forever and ever. And the thing that he does at the end is always greater than the thing he does at the start. This series that we are embarking upon here in the book of John is meant to show you that you don't serve what we all think is the best comparative religion on the face of the planet. You just don't do that. Christianity is not better because we have a more cohesive thought process or a better defined uh, worldview. Christianity is better because Jesus Christ rose from the dead the third day, and there's no other place to turn but to him. It's better because he sees you in this moment, and it's like he stepped into this room like he did for Thomas in John chapter 20, and he knows your doubts, and he knows what you struggle with, and he knows what you need today, and he's walking in through the walls of this gathering right here, and it's like he's looking you in the eye and saying, okay, Thomas, I know you doubt, and I know you struggle. I'm here today to prove myself to you once again. And we're all here to say we're weak, and we need him to keep proving himself. And we need to devote these great burdens of our heart to him. And we need to say, I don't know what the next thing you're going to do is, Jesus. Maybe you'll turn water to wine. I don't know. But here's what I'm here to do. Whatever you're going to do, Lord, I trust you. Come and act and make much of your name. So let's study these seven signs with our hearts ready to be filled up. This is not a a mere academic place. This is a place where you and I realize Jesus is your friend. And he loves you with God's love. And he's interacting in your life when you are struggling in the morning. And you just need to be reminded he's real. Friends, he's real. He does miracles. And he's listening to you. And so as we... uh, move through this time. Please be praying for Gary this week. I really would appreciate that. This day is coming and it's characterized now by full satisfaction, perfect fulfillment, glory in the name of God and Jesus, and together we will keep our eyes on Jesus. Let me just uh, close with this. Verse 11. This is the first of his signs. The end of the book, it says, there's so many, we didn't even write them all down. This is the first Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested, put on display, showed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. That's for you and for me today. We believe Jesus. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, help us. Would you help us? Every one of us would say at the beginning of John, like Thomas, we saw this act, this strong act, this miraculous act, we believe. And by the end of John, Thomas is saying, I will never believe unless he keeps doing it. 
or does it my way? Would you show up for all of us who are weak and remind us Jesus is the Christ. In him, all the promises of God find their yes and amen. And I pray you'd help us as we study this. Help us be relevant and helpful to our friends who talk about uh, coincidences, luck, and karma. Help us to refute that with love and kindness, with a faithful trust in you and a prayer life where we roll all of our burdens onto you. And we aren't always sure what you're going to do, but we are sure you are able, you are good, and you are Lord. Dismiss us with your blessing today, we pray in Jesus' name.